0: I don't know if you knew it or not, but this year marks the 70th year that Queen Elizabeth II has reigned over England and the 14 other Commonwealth realms. It's called the Platinum Jubilee, and she's reigned longer than any monarch in English history. Um, And in the run-up, I guess there's some festivities this weekend, but in the run-up to some of the festivities... Sky News put out a story by Robert Griffin. Robert Griffin was the queen's retired royal protection officer. Now, if you know anything about the queen, you know that she likes, she's, she's, she's kind of snarky and a little rambunctious. One of the things that Griffin used to do was take her out when she was at her country estate in Balmoral, Balmoral to go on picnics. And so Griffin recounts a time that two American tourists met him and the queen out in the countryside, but the Americans didn't know they were meeting the queen. So Griffin and the queen are picnicking near her country estate, and the American hikers come up and they start exchanging pleasantries. And in the course of conversation, the American said, where do you live? And she says, London. Sometimes I come over to, I have a little house over here, over the hill, um, and they knew, the Americans knew that the queen would come and go from that area, and they asked the queen, I heard the queen is around here sometimes. Have you ever met her? And she says, no, but Richard, which is her protection officer, says he meets her regularly. And they said, what's she like? Now Griffin, she, now again, again, two Americans, she stand the Queen and Griffin. Griffin knew her well and said, she can be kind of cantankerous but has a lovely sense of humor. And then he, Griffin said, before he knew it, the American put his arm around Griffin and gave the Queen his camera and said, could you take a picture of us? And so the Queen snaps a picture. And then they, they reversed spots and the American couple got a picture with the queen without knowing it was the queen. Imagine asking the queen to take a picture not knowing it's the queen of England. They didn't know what she looked like. They had no idea. Until probably later when they showed their friends their album and said, look at this nice sweet old lady that we ran into. And they said, that's the queen. They didn't know what she looked like. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is going to help us make sure we know what a faithful pastor looks like. So that we don't make the mistake of assuming that just because I or anybody here is occupying an office, that we're doing our job. Last week we saw what a pastor is to do and be privately. This week we're going to see... How a pastor is to conduct himself publicly. One scholar says this passage is standing orders for pastors. So this is a faithful, what the portrait of a faithful pastor from 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 11 through 16. We'll, we'll go over this because we go through sections of the Bible and as scripture comes up we preach what we see here in the scriptures. But also so that you can know whether or not your team whether or not the elders here are doing what we're called to do or if you're from another church you can think is this what my is my pastor acting in this way or if you move away or are moving around you can look and see what kind of pastor ought to pastor a faithful church so if i were to summarize what i'm going to say in one sentence it's this faithful pastors act for the good of the church and for the glory of God. Faithful pastors act for the good of the church and for the glory of God, and they'll do this in five different ways, which we will look at in turn. But first, I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So if you have your Bible, please follow along as I read. Verse 11, God's Word says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the But set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray and ask God's help. Lord, I am keenly aware that I need your help. Keenly aware that I am weak keenly aware, Lord, that I have nothing to offer these wonderful people apart from your word here. And I know that there are people here who come from all kinds of different challenges in their life. I pray, Lord, that you would help them just to be able for a few moments to be able to hear from your word, to hear, oh Lord, you address them. And I pray that I would hear as I preach, you address me. For, Lord, I am not any different than anyone else. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And so, Lord, I pray that as I try to explain what your word says about what it means to be a faithful pastor, I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be spurred on and help our team and our elders to be spurred on to Reflect this reality for your glory and for your name's sake. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Faithful pastors act for the good of the church and for the glory of God. And we're going to look at the picture Paul paints here and see if we can see your elders, your pastors here in this picture. There are five ways, at least, that we see a faithful pastor is to work for the good of the church and for the glory of God. First, by commanding. A faithful pastor commands. And we see this in verse 11. Look at verse 11, chapter 4. Command and teach these things. What things? Now, remember what we've been considering over the past few weeks. We've seen that the key to godliness is not obedience or religion or tradition or effort or mysticism or folklore, but Jesus Christ. And the fundamental, fundamental element in any of our go- attempts to become godly is found not in what we do for Jesus, but in what Jesus has done for us. Faithful pastors must continually command and teach everyone to continually look to Jesus and build their life upon Jesus and Jesus alone. We saw at the end of chapter 3 that Jesus, who was the only one equal to God, became a man and became a man so that he might die in agony. This death was agonizing. It was painful, yes, but it wasn't just that the death was painful. He died in the stead of sinners. He died in the place of others. He became a man to die for mankind so that you and me might have our sins paid for so that we might be able to avoid the substance of death and experience life forever. At His resurrection, Jesus was vindicated when the Spirit of God breathed life into His carcass. His agonizing death became the means of salvation for you and for me and for all who believe in Him. At His resurrection, for the first time ever in this evil world, evil did not have the final say. Jesus did. And he didn't hide out, so it's not like this is some kind of myth. He showed himself both to men and to angels, proving he's not a phantom. He really did conquer the grave. He really did walk the earth after he conquered the grave. The grip of death was too weak to hold on to him. And faithful pastors must consistently proclaim the hope that is found only in this risen Christ. Here's the good news for all of us. Death is dead and we will not pay for our sins because Jesus already did. And the reason Paul says command see that that word in verse 11 command and teach these things is because we're tempted to find comfort and rest in all kinds of other places. We're tempted to find comfort and rest in our health, how we feel, our family, future prospects, our bank accounts, our reputation, whether we're happy or not. But faithful pastors must call all of us to command, must command everyone to put hope and faith not in the sinking sand of anything in our lives, but on Jesus, our rock and our Redeemer. Now, we're used to thinking of Jesus as our Redeemer. Because He purchased us by His blood. We just talked about that a moment ago. But He is also equally our rock. He is the only sure place for us to stand in this life. We can build our lives upon Jesus Christ. We must build our lives upon Jesus Christ. We must stand on Christ and Christ alone. Otherwise, we'll fall away. You see, a pastor has, a faithful pastor has real authority, but only insofar as the word directs. The authority your pastors wield is derived not because of who we are, not because of our office, not because of our station, but because of this word. And so when we command, we command what the Bible has to say. We don't command opinions, we don't command perspectives. We don't command things that are secondary or tertiary. We command things that we see here in the Scripture. And most of all, one of the commands that we will constantly proclaim and trumpet over and over and over is trust Jesus. Trusting in anything else, trusting in anyone else, looking to anyone else or, 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 or trusting anyone will ruin your soul. So I, and everyone who occupies this pulpit, must command and teach these things from the Bible. Faithful pastors act for the good of the church, for the glory of, and for the glory of God by commanding, also by exemplifying. We see this in verse 12. Exemplifying. Verse 12. Let no one despise you, Paul says to Timothy, for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, five ways, how? How does? How is he supposed to set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity? In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. When Tiffany, when, when Tiffany when Timothy, was sent to Ephesus, he was young, and the culture at the time, unlike ours, respected older people. Um, they didn't idolize youth like we do, and so Timoth, Timothy would have been tempted, um, could have been tempted to either. Pull back or demand respect. Demanding respect is always wrong. Paul says earn respect. Earn respect. How? By the way you live and by the way you act as you preach and teach publicly. There's always going to be reasons to look down on your pastor. Either they're too young, they're too old, they're too uneducated, they're too educated, they're too repetitive, they're too snarky, they're too kind, they're too whatever. But instead of standing up and demanding respect, Paul says, here is what a faithful pastor does. He needs to set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. In speech, as he speaks, he obviously shouldn't lie or speak words laced in ang- with anger or in, in malice. Words shaded with hyperbole and exaggeration. He must be someone who speaks to encourage the church. To build up, to speak the truth, and give hope. He must be one who points to others with a grateful heart and points to Jesus and proclaims all that he has done for us. Because anyone can complain that it takes a Christian to be grateful. So, constantly, continually, he must trumpet truth, hope, marked by love and affection. This is how a faithful pastor must set an example in his speech. Also, in his conduct, his words must be backed up by his life. Now, no pastor is going to be perfect, least of all me, for sure. But there are times that faithful pastors must contend for the faith against falsehood without being contentious. There are other times when they must take a stand, whether it's popular or not. There are, are all times that he must point to Jesus and away from himself so that people think higher of Jesus than they do of him. Because it's impossible to think too highly of Jesus. It's very possible for you to think too highly of your pastor. So a pastor must set an example in speech, in conduct, in love. The actions he takes must be for the good of others. Not to be trendy, not to be popular, not to be hip. He must look to see what the church needs and act accordingly. This means he's going to love the church enough to comfort them when they're hurting and confront them when they're wandering. It means that he's going to look to protect those in trouble and challenge those who are going, maybe looking the wrong direction or looking to wander away from Jesus. It means that he's going to look to awaken the sleepy by consistently exhibiting kindness, patience, forgiveness, and love, remembering that he exists to serve the church and not the other way around speech, conduct, love, and faith. This means that he doesn't just talk about trusting Jesus, he stakes his whole life and existence upon Jesus and what he does. A faithful pastor knows that he may not have the faith to move mountains, but he worships the one who made the mountains. He knows that the amount of faith matters much less than the object of his faith, Jesus Christ. He knows he can't survive on other people's faith, but must stoke the fires of his soul and remember that it's always worthwhile to trust Jesus. The pastor must be faithful in his speech, his conduct, his love, his faith, and his purity. He's able to control himself, he's able to not make a spectacle of himself. When he sins, he runs to the Savior and asks forgiveness. He's not perfect, he's forgiven. Yet he strives to have integrity and be above reproach and being pure in all his dealings with every person at every time. Faithful pastors act for the good of the church and for the glory of God by setting an example, also by commanding, also by what they're devoted to. Again, this is what they're devoted to. Faithful pastors must be devoted to what? Remember, this is in the public context. What are faithful pastors to be devoted to? Look at verse 13. Until I come, devote, not think about, consider, but devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Public reading of Scripture, three things, exhortation and teaching. Now, these three things overlap. And in that day, the public reading of Scripture was critically important because nobody and I do mean nobody, had a copy of the Bible. So when they would gather together and the pastor or someone else would read from the scriptures, it would be the only time that week they would be able to hear the words of life. The only way they knew what the Bible said was when it was, when it was read aloud in church. And so in that day, there were times where they would read large sections of Scripture. In fact, Ian Murray, my favorite historian, tells a moving story when, during the time of the Reformation, the Bible had been, for the first time, translated into English, and it was becoming popular, or it was becoming well-known. There was one time where they announced that at a certain building, They would be just reading the Bible aloud in English. There was not enough room for all the people who came. They thronged just to hear the Bible read aloud in English because they knew that the Bible has the word of life. Now today, if you go to like a high church service, kind of like an Anglican, you're going to find that their liturgy is ripe, full of scripture reading, which is great. Now we do less, not because... We value the scriptures less, but because you all have Bibles at home and you can read. Now, you'll notice on Sunday, though, we will still have many times where we'll read in different times through the service, through sections of the scriptures. You heard two different readings from the Psalms this morning. You also heard us read from 1 Timothy chapter 4, and there'll be other times where we read larger sections. Sometimes we read smaller sections. But you'll also notice that when we gather on Sunday, what we want to do, what our goal is, what a faithful pastor must do, is center everything on the Word of God. Center everything on what God has to say. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves by lectures or drama or video or fancy music, but what we want to do is be a people of the Word. And so the pastor must be a person, a man of the Word. And so he must be one who reads the Scriptures and exhorts from the Bible and teaches from the Bible. So it can't just be exhortation where he's always calling people to do something or to be something, but it also has to be teaching so that, he, so that people understand what they are to do and how they are to behave. If the Bible is the breathed-out Word of God, and it is, then what we want to do in our church Is get so close to the scriptures that we feel the breath of God. It means our songs and sermons are going to parrot and repeat what the Word of God says. What God says about us and not what we say about Him. It's a subtle difference, but it's significant. You see, a faithful pastor devotes himself to this book, it's not a manual on how to have a happy family, how to avoid conflict, how to be a success in everything you do, how to earn money or how to be fulfilled. But this is the only book with the words of life. Here God addresses us through the agency of human authors who consistently and constantly point us to Jesus Christ. And as the preacher exhorts and teaches, he calls on all to continually and constantly take refuge in Jesus Christ. We who are in Christ must be reminded that it's not enough just to have Jesus as a part of our lives. He must be the center and focus and purpose in our lives. We must be, as we say, fixed on Jesus. For we know that we do not understand any subject, no matter how basic, if we do not understand how it relates to Jesus Christ. And as we put Christ at the center of our lives and our ministry and our services, we're going to understand what families are for. We're going, to re- we're going to realize that families are not to carry all our hopes and dreams or give us a purpose, but it's a way in which we can honor and serve Jesus. We can see that our conflicts can become easier to resolve because as Christians we've been forgiven by such a great God who has offered his Savior and we can freely forgive anyone else. Our successes are redefined from our identity. It's not our identity. Our identity it doesn't become our successes. Our identity is in Christ and what He has done for us. Our money, we find, is not our own. We're stewards, and we owe what we owe, all that we have, we have to Him. And our fulfillment is not in our achievements, but in our Savior. A faithful pastor is going to open up the Scriptures and talk about all those kinds of things, so that we can continually be turning our faces away from our bank accounts, away from our troubles, away from our hardships, away from those things, as real as they are, and fix ourselves on Jesus. Faithful pastors. You can tell what a faithful pastor is. You can tell the picture, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, by what they command, how, what they exemplify, what they're devoted to, and by their work. Look at verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. We don't know what context this was. It's kind of like an ordination, I suppose, but there was some kind of prophetic event that was spoken over Timothy, and he, he was, a gift from the Spirit was imparted to him to lead and preach and pastor, and so Paul then goes on in verse 15 practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. All faithful pastors have a stewardship that they must be faithful to. There is a burden that goes along with the Bible, and that burden is this. The burden for the pastor is to explain the Bible in such a way so that the people, so that everybody understands and orients their lives around Jesus Christ. And so this takes hard work, and this takes continual practice. Verse 15 could be translated, practice these things continually. Immerse yourself in them. Paul's spurring Timothy on to work hard so that all might see his growth, and not skate, not skate by on natural gifting, not skate by on the things that you're already good at, but faithful pastors must work hard to grow in their ability to handle the word. Giftedness is not a reason to shirk work, but an impulse to work all the more. And so the call for every faithful pastor is to practice and immerse and and never be content with the current experience he has with God or his current understanding of the Scriptures. He is to be constantly pressing into the Word, being dissatisfied, with what he knows of God today, knowing that yesterday is not enough. Today, I must meet God. I must look to God. I must see Him from His Word. He must get excited when the Holy Spirit illumines something in the Bible that he has not seen before. He must study the Bible for his own soul and not just study to preach. This means that he's going to read and study and work by taking in good books by authors that help him understand the Scriptures More and better. He doesn't believe or say silly things like, I just need my Bible, it's just me and my Bible, because he knows that many, many, many others have gone before him who have a lot more learning and wisdom than he does, and he can benefit from their insights on the scriptures. And this sort of thing takes practice, and it's always ongoing. Always ongoing. Practice and immersion so that there is no arrival. A pastor never arrives. A a pastor never has, quote, made it. A faithful pastor knows that yesterday's grace goes stale the next day. And he must work and practice and immerse himself in the work of ministry, in the work of handling the Word, so that he might grow and that growth might be obvious to all. Faithful pastors act for the good of the church, for the glory of God by what they command, by what they exemplify, by how they devote themselves, how they work, and lastly, by what they watch. Faithful pastor watches. What does he watch? Verse 16. Keep a close watch. Keep a close watch. Not a check-in sometimes, but keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Why? Here's why. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. A close watch on both his life and teaching. Now both are necessary and critical for faithful ministry. Many a pastor has failed to watch his life and his teaching and has made a shipwreck of his soul. The problem is when pastors make shipwrecks of their souls, they take other people down with them. And Paul wants Timothy to realize that the stakes are higher than just personal fidelity. What he wants him to see is that his life and his ministry, his life and his teaching matters not just to him, but to everybody else. And he must be faithful. He must persist in watching his life. He must persists in watching his teaching he must do this why because he will save you will be saved as you understand the scriptures both paul says both yourself and your hearers now the implication is clear if you don't watch your life and teaching you will ruin both yourself and your hearers why because when a pastor's life and or teaching veers off course he leads others to do the same And this is why, as a team, your pastors, however much you pray for us, we ask you to pray more. We're only men. We're not special. Nothing special. We're just men who do not want to go astray and do not want to lead anyone else astray. We want to persevere. We want to persevere in watching our lives and our teaching For our benefit and for yours. My greatest fear in ministry is that I would do or act in such a way that dishonors Jesus and the good news about him. So please pray for me. Please pray for the team. Please pray pray for all of us. This is one of the reasons I'm grateful, some of the times, for trials in ministry. I'm grateful that I and the team have been buffeted by trials. So that we might be humble. I'm grateful that I'm not shackled to notoriety or fame or wealth. Just an ordinary guy who gets to study and preach of our extraordinary Savior. I regularly pray that I would not outlive my love for Jesus. And you can pray that for your elders, for your leaders. Pray that we watch our lives and our teaching. But did you actually see what the, the words said in verse 16? He says, persist in this, for by so doing you will save. Sorry, for, uh, before that, keep a close watch on yourself and on, it says, the teaching. He's not just saying teaching in general, but the teaching, a specific body of teaching, which is the scriptures. And the center of the Scriptures is the good news of Jesus Christ. Preaching Christ from all of Scripture is our call, is our mandate. It's possible for a pastor not to watch his teaching closely and wander off into legalism, wander off into the prosperity gospel, wander off into a political gospel. You can take the emphasis of the culture of the moment and pretend like it's the emphasis of the Bible, and only always talk about that kind of stuff. He can excuse sins. But none of those things are the teaching. The teaching that the preacher is to watch is the kind that gives life. My personal opinions about politics does not give life. Legalism does not give life. It kills. Licentiousness does not give life. It kills. The teaching that a preacher is to have in his mouth gives life. He is to preach and expound the good news so that he might remind himself and everyone that Jesus is worth it. A faithful teacher constantly has the name of Jesus on his lips and lives under the authority of his Savior. He knows and proclaims that there is no one like Jesus, that he is our only refuge, that he is our firm foundation, that he is our only hope, that, he w- that where he is we will one day be, that he rewards our every effort, he freely forgives, he gives us access to the Father, he will stand by us today, tomorrow, forever, he will walk with us through the veil of death to eternity, and we will be with him for all times. That is the teaching it is of utmost importance what Christ, who Christ is and what he's done for us. Those Americans who asked the queen what is she like not knowing she was talking to the queen they were talking to the queen is ironic. But Christians who don't know what pastors are to be like is sad. What are they to be like? Faithful pastors are to act for the good of the church and for the glory of God by commanding what the Scriptures command, by, by living, by exemplifying, by, live, by being an example for everybody, by devoting themselves to the Word, by, by working hard and by watching their life and their doctrine. See, at the end of the day, what we want as a team As elders is for you to be taken much with Jesus and very little with us. We'll do our best to be faithful, we'll do our best to do our best, but none of us are your Savior. He and only He died and lives so that you might, when you die, live forever. So please pray that for as long as the Lord tarries, this church and this pulpit and all of us together would have the benefit and the, the blessing of faithful pastors who act for the good of the church and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, it's humbling and a little bit overwhelming to be preaching about what I'm supposed to be doing. And I just I just ask for Lord, there's so many ways in which I just I'm grateful that you're a forgiving God. Lord, I, I know that I fall short in all kinds of ways. But Lord, I'm grateful you don't. Jesus, you're not like me. You're not limited. You don't fall short. You are perfect. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help our church and our pulpit here to be pointed toward you forever. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who constantly have you and your work on our lips so that we might be able to recognize that this world that we live in is a passing thing. And this world that we live in, we will only be here a short while. We will be somewhere forever And Lord, I pray that you would give us an urgent desire to continually look to you and trust you and hope in you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to put away those idols and those things that we're tempted to hope in that is not you. Lord, I pray that you would preserve our church. Lord, I pray that you would preserve our team. I pray that you would preserve the elders of our church, Lord, for you know better than any that we're just men, ordinary plain, but Lord, we're men who are ordinary, plain men who want you lifted high, and I pray that that would be the effect of the ministry here at our church. Jesus, we can see that you use the lowly things of the world, the small things, the insignificant things, so that you might receive glory. So, Lord, that we embrace. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord. Help us, preserve us, keep us. And I pray that the ministry of the word here from the pulpit would help and keep and preserve all all that come under its sway, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.